And turn in your Bibles with me uh, to John. Uh, chapter 19 is where we're going to spend most of our time, but we're, we're going to back up and begin this morning uh, where we left off last Sunday in chapter 18, verse 38. Uh, this morning, we're going to consider the truth as revealed to us from this point uh, forward through chapter 19, ending in verse 16. Uh, we're going to read the passage in its entirety, then we'll dissect the passage specifically and making observation and applications as we go. But first, we need to seek the Lord in prayer together. Well, Father in heaven, we do come to you this morning in humble submission, yet we are confident in the Lord Jesus that you will hear our prayers as we come as children. We ask God, the Holy Spirit, to enlighten our minds to a right understanding, to inflame our hearts to faith, to engage our will in obedience this morning, Lord. We ask that you would make your holy presence evident among us and among the church that gathers this morning at Wapato. I pray that the pulpits of the churches that are throughout our county and area would uh, have a, a common, uncompromising dedication and clarity to the gospel of Jesus Christ as it has been delivered and according to the scriptures. We pray for those this morning that are uh, hindered providentially from gathering with the church this morning. Uh, I think of my wife, Heather, who is under the weather. I just pray, Lord, that you would heal her uh, stomach issue, whatever it is, uh, quickly, Lord, that she get back to loving and serving you. I pray for Matthew. Just pray that he uh, returns to health and returns to us, Lord. We pray for the work this morning at the Portland Fellowship. Morning, uh, This morning, I ask, Lord, that you would grant them much success in bringing people uh, to find their identity in Jesus Christ and not in sexual orientation, but they would find their identity as image bearers of Jesus Christ. And it is in his name that we pray this morning. Amen. So if you are able... Would you uh, stand with me as we read God's word from John uh, chapter 38, uh, 18, chapter th uh, verse 38, and through 19, uh, verse 16. What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release you, the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thrones, uh, thorns and the, the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, 
where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who has delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at the place called the Stone Pavement in Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to be crucified. This is God's word. Let's be to God. So behold... Jesus, that is, to gaze upon him in surprised amazement. Pilate uses the word behold when referring to Jesus three times. Behold Jesus. Behold the one whom there is no guilt in him. Look at the one in whom, after careful examination, I have found no blemish. Look at the man, Jesus, a man unlike any other. Look at him in surprised amazement. Take him in, in all wonderment. Look at Jesus, the one whose kingdom is not of this world. Gaze in wide wonder at the otherness of the king of the Jews. Behold Jesus, the son of God, the one in whom the Father is pleased. There's a day appointed to each of us when we will stand before holy God. We will stand before the omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, omnibenevolent God. And in other words, we will stand before the God who knows everything, is everywhere at once, and has the power to do anything. And here's the crux of what happens here in this passage and is perfectly good. Is perfectly good and always good. Some will stand in defiance that day exclaiming their disdain for His purity, His holiness, and His goodness. Some may say when in this perfection in front of the all-good God, some may say, Look at me, God. I am not like other people. Compare my deeds to them and surely you will have mercy on me. But the redeemed say something else. The redeemed say, Father in heaven, I have beheld in wonder and amazement the pure, spotless Lamb and have believed that He is the Son of God sent for me. I have looked to Jesus who authored and finished the work of faith in me. Father, 
Behold the man Jesus who took the curse of Adam that I was under. Father, behold the King Jesus, that when you look at me, you see the King of whom I am a servant and have mercy on me. The Christian says, I have but one plea before holy God, the Lamb without blemish. That is my plea. I plead the Lamb without blemish. I have been a born-again person to a better Adam, to a different family, the not-of-this-world King, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. That is my plea before holy God. That is our plea as Christians before holy God. But one day we will before Him. We will stand before Him. And will you stand on your own as a human? Will you stand there in your own righteousness, in your own goodness? Will you stand before the always good God and say, God, I'm good enough? The answer to that is no. Your only plea will be Jesus Christ, the spotless Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. That will be your one plea. So as we open our passage this morning, looking at verse 38, Pilate begins saying, I found no guilt in him. I found no guilt in him. So as we back up to where we left off and hear Pilate say this, I found no guilt in him. Pilate will announce Jesus' innocence two more times in the next passage in 19 in verse 4 uh, of uh, in verse 4 and again in verse 6 of chapter 19 i find no guilt in him in our passage we have reached the time of passover week known as the day of preparation you will see this in verse 14 this is the time when the lambs would uh, begin to be presented for sacrifice and Passover, you know, is a celebration of the time in Egypt when the mighty hand of God's judgment was upon the land and His wrath against Egypt. And God prescribed that to be spared the judgment of God's mighty hand, the blood of the Lamb without blemish must be applied to the doorposts of their homes. In Exodus 12, God prescribes the preparation of the Lamb when He says they were to take the Lamb into the home and examine it for three days. At the twilight of the third day, the congregation would sacrifice the lambs when they were all assembled. Leviticus 22.19 and verse 21 tells us that they were how what kind of lamb after examination was to be used. Leviticus 22 says, If it is to be accepted for you, it shall be a male without blemish. To be accepted, it must be perfect. There shall be no blemish in it. So I can imagine that as families gathered their lamb for the sacrifice to be prepared for the Passover, I can imagine that on day one, the dad, the father in the home, goes and he examines the, the lamb and he comes and he tells his family, this lamb is faultless. And then on the second day, he examines it again and he would inspect it and he would tell his household, I find no blemish in it. And finally, as the time drew near for the assembly, one final examination would be done and the man would say, it is perfect. 
It is blemish-free, faultless. It is acceptable. And three times, Pilate announces in this passage, I find no guilt in Him. Behold the unblemished one. John's Gospel declares from the beginning, beginning that Jesus is the spotless Lamb. In John 1, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God Himself declares Him as the one who is acceptable. In Mark 1, verse 11, he says, You are my beloved Son. With you, with you I am well pleased. Even His betrayer declares Him without blemish when He cries as He tries to return His ill-gotten gain. In Matthew 27, verse 4, he says, This is Judas saying, I have sinned. By betraying innocent blood. Even Pilate's wife declares Jesus righteous in Matthew 27. Have you, have nothing to do with this righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. When the holy and always good God brings his might to bear upon the sins of the world, those who receive mercy are those who say, Behold, the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away my sin. He is unblemished. He is acceptable. For His sake, my God, have mercy on me. And then Pilate follows this with, according to your custom, I can set one free at Passover. Do you want me to set free the King of the Jews, the guiltless one? Rather than setting Jesus free directly. You know, he's claiming that he has this authority to release him or to crucify him. He pronounces the judgment, right? Jesus is adjudicated right here in 1838. I find no guilt in him. But Pilate is an unscrupulous, strange sort of fellow. Although he could do that, instead, he decides manipulation is the way to go. I will manipulate them into setting him free. And of course, they want, the Jews themselves, want to manipulate Pilate into crucifying him. So you've got these two groups of people manipulating one another for the outcome that they're looking for. Do you want me to set free the, the guiltless one, the spotless lamb? No, 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 no. We don't want the guiltless one. We will take a notoriously blemished man instead. Because Barabbas was known as a murderous, insurrectionist, robber, thief, a vile human being. Rather than receive the truth, we want to exchange the truth of God for a lie. We'll take a liar instead. We'll take the wretched instead. When the pure, spotless lamb is in front of them, they say, we don't want any of that holiness. We'll take him. They reject the holiness of God. They reject the all-good God for the all-bad, basically, Barabbas. Many years ago, in Scotland, a minister was invited to preach on a Sunday morning. And he preached a message on the beauty of virtue. When he concluded the message, he said, Oh, my friends, if virtue incarnate could only appear on earth, 
Then men would be so ravished with her beauty that they would fall down and worship her. Many left the meeting saying, what a great sermon that was. Well, that evening, another preacher at the same uh, uh, place delivered a message concerning Christ and Him crucified. And when he closed his sermon, he said, my friends, virtue incarnate has appeared on earth and men, instead of falling down in worship, cried out, away with him, crucify him. See, the truth of the matter here is that the natural man, the natural human being, the natural son and daughter, the natural boy or girl, hates God's holiness and will do whatever it takes to block out the light of God will do whatever it takes to leave themselves unpenetrated by the light of Jesus Christ. As I thought of that passage, of course, it it hearkened me back to one of my favorite passages in in John in chapter 3. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. When the good God comes amongst bad people, the good God is rejected. When the good Jesus is presented, away with him, crucify him, because the light of his goodness shines a light on their sickness their illness, their sin. Verse chapter 19. Now here it is. Not guilty. Seems like a strange transition from I find no guilt in him. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I bring him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. Behold, the unblemished Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, declares the Apostle John through John the Baptist. And now, John, the, the, the Apostle, declares it again unwittingly through Pilate. John moves on to say in this section, Behold the man. Behold the intimate, innocent man who was pierced with a crown of thorns. Look with surprise on a man who is unlike you, unlike me, of whom can be said, I find no guilt in him. Behold this man. He is unlike any man born among men. He is nothing to look at, but behold him. He is innocent. He is cursed, though faultless. Surely you would want me to release him. Behold the man. He is 
called king. He is unlike the kings of the earth. Yet we have mocked and humiliated him. And yet, unlike the kings of the earth, he says nothing in his defense. Behold, any man, any of us who were born after Adam, and you will look upon a human born under the curse of sin. But he says here, behold the man, behold Jesus, and you will see the second Adam, the one unstained by sin, a man in whom there is no guilt, a man pierced as though cursed, pierced for others' guilt, others' blemish before God. From Isaiah, the man, Jesus, was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, a man whom others cannot stand to look upon, a man despised and esteemed not. Behold the man esteemed as stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Behold the man pierced, yet without transgression. I find no guilt in him. And what is the Jewish leader's response? Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Crucify Him. The good God, the good Savior, the new man, the new Adam is before them in all of His goodness and they say no. When the mighty hand of God comes to judge humankind standing before God as we stand before God under the curse of our first parent, Adam, to have a might, the mighty hand of God pass over our sin a person must have an acceptable sacrifice. A blameless, blemish-free sacrifice. And here in this passage I say, Behold Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God. A human under the curse of Adam has a replacement. One not born under the curse. And we do here we say, Behold the man. Behold the man not born under the curse of Adam. Behold the man not born into the sin of Adam. Behold a man different than you, other than us. Behold a man begotten by God. Must have somebody stand in our stead. A man upon whom there is no curse must stand in our stead. And he must also at the same time be the spotless lamb for sacrifice, for our sin. We must have them both before God. I kept thinking about Psalm 49 this week. And you know, can we find a replacement here on earth? We say, which of you would stand in my stead? You're purer than I am. Which one of you would be willing to go under the scrutiny of God for me? But the question I have to ask is, which one of you are pure enough? Which one of you are holy and good enough? Well, Psalm 49 tells us, Truly, no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the life is costly and can never suffice. See, no man born of Adam has the currency of perfection with which to pay the price of another man's life. Behold Jesus the greater than the second Adam pierced for our transgressions. Pilate, having declared Jesus spotless, punishes the guiltless one anyway. 
hoping to manipulate the Jews into empathy toward Jesus, supposing if they saw the innocent one suffer that they would demand his release. But when the Jews behold the man of virtue, the pure, spotless Lamb of God, they cry out, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate says, do it yourselves. I find no guilt in him. I kept thinking about this as we live our lives and we strive to walk in the holiness of God. I hope that that is your aim, is that as we walk with Jesus more and more, that that we are growing in holiness, that we are growing in his likeness. Holiness has a price, though, brothers and sisters, doesn't it? When you stand in Christ and you stand upon the truth of God's word, you can expect dismissal and rejection. Because men love darkness rather than light. But for the Christian, we walk in light that our deeds might be known. Maybe not known necessarily to them, but known to God. That they have been carried out in the power of God. Sometimes when you go someplace and you're in a place of mixed company and you're the only Christian in the room, you ever walked in and all of a sudden the room gets silent? No longer do they want to talk because you're there, because light has shone upon them. Light would expose them. Back to our text, verses 7 through 9. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to the law, he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Behold Jesus, behold the Lamb of God, behold the one in whom there is no sin, behold the man, behold the begotten Son of God. He is the begotten Son of God. I kept thinking about this today and this this weekend. And I've thought about this question a lot. What were you saved from? The question is answered by some. I was saved from a life of sin. Still others might answer this question. I was saved from myself. But what were you saved from? Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The answer to that question is quite simply, we were saved from God. We were saved from the holiness of God, the otherness of God. We were saved from the wrath of God. You know, our sin doesn't scare us. When we're unregenerated, our sin doesn't scare us. Because if our sin scared us in our flesh before we were converted to Christ, if our sin scared us, we would just remove it. We would get rid of it. Our sin doesn't scare us. But the wrath of God revealed from heaven against ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. That is where our fear ought to come. The depravity of man is inclined only to suppress the truth in unrighteousness as we live in this temporal life. We deny that our deeds have any eternal consequences. 
What we need is the heavenly and eternal God to come to us. See, this is, this is a message of grace. The Son of God came to us. Jesus came from God, the Son of God. And notice Pilate's question, where are you from? Where are you from? As they reveal to him that he has called himself the Son of God. Well, where are you from? And this causes him concern. Because if he came from the presence of God, the Father, and he is here, and he is the holy and right Son of God in his presence, fear would strike us, wouldn't it? If we knew we were standing before the holy and right God, standing before holy God, there we are. Fear should cause us to tremble. This is the one sent from heaven. This is the Son of God sent from heaven. The unique Son of God, begotten in eternity past, the Word made flesh. In the beginning was the Word, the unique Son of God. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus did not make Himself out to be anything other than what God said, and He is the heaven-sent Son of God. Behold Jesus, the unique Son of God. He is the rescuer from heaven, but this rescuer from heaven... I find no guilt in him. He is blameless, sinless, holy, and pure. And here he is. And there's Pilate. Where are you from? And Jesus gives no answer, but it is an answer. His no answer is, I come from above. I come from the Father. The Father sent me. I am the Son of God from heaven in your presence. We need to behold the unique Son of God as our rescuer from heaven. This message is all about grace, and here's grace in Jesus Christ. The heaven-sent Son of God, the pure spotless Lamb, the man who was the new man, the new Adam, the one not under a curse, the one who could stand before holy God in our stead. Here He is. He is the Son of God sent from heaven. To be saved from the otherness of God, humanity needs one who is other. To be saved from the otherness and the holiness of God, we need one who is holy to stand in our stead. Somebody who is other. Somebody who is uniquely sent, not from this world, not like us, sent from God to rescue us. Only God can save us from Himself. And He sent His Son, His unique, only begotten Son, from heaven to earth to do just that. But this is a big complaint with the Jews. This is a big complaint due to the hardness of their heart. They have rejected the unique Son of God from heaven. To Pilate, this statement that Jesus is somehow other causes fear to enter him. But to them, this is, I, we can't abide in this. This otherness of God. This one sent from heaven. This one who is uniquely different than us, who is separate and holy and truly holy and truly right and truly good. This goodness we cannot have. This goodness upsets households. This goodness upsets our, our, our worship. This, this perfection upsets my life. I cannot have perfection. I cannot stand it. Let's kill him. Away with him. Get rid of him. He exposes us. 
He exposes our horrible motives, the Jews would say, without saying it. He exposes our horrible motives. Here is the man in whom the curse of sin has not affected because he is the unique son of God sent from heaven. Verse 10. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. So Jesus now answers, Pilate, the authority that you exercise over my release and punishment comes from heaven, where I come from. He's answering where he comes from. If you have any authority over me, life or death, it comes to you from above. And I know because I am the unique son of God sent from heaven to earth. Jesus previously declared that he was the heaven-sent son of God, the king out of this world, the king with an with a, with a otherworldly kingdom, didn't he? Back in chapter 18, verse 36 and 37, but my kingdom is not from the world. And then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So when you look at this passage and you see the innocent Jesus being punished, having a crown of thorns on his head, being mocked and slapped and beaten and, and just made a fool of, who's to blame? Who's to blame for the Lamb of God's chastisement here? Who bears the brunt of the guilt for punishing the guiltless man begotten of God? Who's at fault for despising and rejecting the unique Son of God. Why is the sinless one condemned? From a human perspective, Jesus is condemned because of the hatred of the Jewish leaders in concert with the moral cowardice of Pilate. But from another perspective, the sinless one is given over to condemnation because of the rebellion of every human heart that is opposed to God and His holiness. Romans 3 verse 9 tells us, we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. Is it the Jews' fault? Yes. Is it the Roman Gentiles' fault? Yes. Further, Romans 3 says, For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then when Jesus says to Pilate, you would have no power over me unless that was given to you from above. You would have no authority unless it was given to you for a, over, from above. And therefore, he who has delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Listen to what Jesus says in 1248. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required, and from him uh, to him they entrusted, from whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. 
And Paul, in Romans 9, verses 4 and 5, as he's talking about the Jews, they are Israelites. And to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to their flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. In the persecution of Jesus, is Pilate to blame? Yes. His hard-hearted ignorance does not give him any excuse. In the persecution of Jesus, are the Jews to blame? Yes. To them, the adoption, the glory, the law, the worship, the promises, the covenants, they were given, and from their line, the Son was given. But the bigger question is this. Are you to blame? Am I to blame? Long ago, G.K. Chesterton was asked this question, What's wrong with the world? And his short answer was, me. Who's faulted? Is it you? Is it me? The short answer is yes, it's me. It's you. It's our sin who persecuted our Jesus. It's our sin who led him over to be crucified. Because we know this, that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You've been given much this morning. If you are not in Christ this morning, you have been given much. In your hearing this morning, Jesus has been proclaimed as the Son of God, the sinless Adam, the perfect sacrifice for sinners. So because you heard much, much will be required of you. If you stand before holy God and you say, I didn't know, he might remind you of this morning. Nope. You sat at Spring Hill Church at 11.50 on April the 3rd, and you heard from the Word of God that Jesus is the pure, spotless Lamb, that Jesus is the perfect Adam. You heard that He is the unique Son of God sent from heaven to rescue sinners, that He is the replacement for you. You heard that so much is required of you, will be required of you. Much is required. There are two kinds of people in the world, aren't there? And, I, and as I think of this, I think that there are two kinds of people. I'm going to boil it down to this. There are many other scenarios you could say there are two kinds of people, but in, in this, according to how, we look, how I look at this text, there are two kinds of people. Sinners under the mighty, wrath-filled hand of God, and those who are under the merciful hand of the omnibenevolent, all good, always good God, whose punishment He will pass over. Who is the sinner prepared for the mighty hand of God? Which sinner is prepared for the mighty hand of God? Those who behold Jesus. Those who have beheld Him. Those who in awe and wonder behold the Lamb of God who takes away their sin. Those who through repentance and faith put their trust in the second Adam. Those who have been born again to a new life and had a life, have a life now that is incorporated into the substitute man, Jesus Christ. Those who look to Jesus as the author and the finisher of their faith. Jesus, the only mediator between God and man, is the man, Jesus 
Christ. The merciful hand of God will pass over sinners who confess with their mouth and believe in the heaven-sent Son of God. The reason the innocent, perfect, sinless Lamb of God was condemned is because God appointed Him to bear the sins of those who would believe. That's the other answer to this question. Who did this to Jesus? Well, we saw the human perspective, but from, from God's perspective, the reason the innocent, perfect, sinless Lamb of God was condemned is because God appointed Him to it. God appointed it to Him for you and for me, those who repent and believe. God appointed Him to that. Isaiah 53 again says, But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds we are healed. All we alike sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. And now, here we come to Pilate's desire to release him. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, verse 12, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat, sat down on the judgment seat at the place of the stone pavement in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to be crucified. In rage against the pure Lamb of God, the man without guilt, the Jews' accusation is that you, Pilate, must put him down. You will find yourself on the wrong side of Caesar. That's their way of manipulating him. And they've also capitulated and said, we have no king but Caesar. During the COVID season, I think this was some of the argument from some of our local churches. Churches had decided that they needed to be friends with the powers that be or the church would find herself on the wrong side of history. That's what these are claiming here. If you don't put him down, you're on the wrong side of history, brother. You're on the wrong side of Caesar. And that same thing happened in our churches, sadly, during COVID. That if you don't side with the powers that be, if you don't bow down to the kings of the earth and do what they say, you're going to find yourself on the wrong side of history. And the COVID response, under the guise of probably well-meaning, being socially sensitive, was in fact pledging allegiance to the Caesar of today. Individually, Sometimes we can exchange our loyalty to Christ in order to be culturally relevant, right? Exchange our allegiance to Christ because we want to be on the right side of society, on the right side of history. The motivation might even be somewhat good in that thinking that we're moving the cause of Christ forward by being accessible, when in fact, all we've done is compromise our allegiances. Shall you deny your king for expediency or self-ambition? 
He proclaims him as king boldly. Behold your king. He's laid it out for him who he is. They say we have no king but Caesar. Behold, this is your king. Behold him as your king. Well, I say for us Christians, if we behold Jesus, the Lamb of God, and behold him without blemish, we behold him as the man uh, the new Adam that is not born under the curse, if we behold Jesus as a unique Son of God, sent as the rescue for sinners, we behold Jesus as that, then we ought to now, as we live our lives, behold Him as Lord and King. Lord and King. Lord and King, brothers and sisters, even when it's not expedient to do so even when it looks like we might be on the wrong side of history. You may say that this, these people demand this of you and demand this of you, but no. The church is underneath another king, the right king, the king of all kings, the king over your Caesar. He is the king of kings. He is the right king. And in gratitude for his substitutionary death for our life, for staying the mighty hand of God, He then is our ruler and our King. And so, as I said, there's a day appointed to each of us in which we will stand before Holy God. We will stand before the omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, omnibenevolent God. The God who knows everything. The God who's everywhere at once. The God who has power to do anything He wants at any time but the God who is perfectly and always good. One day we will stand before that holy and right God. Will we stand in Jesus? He's worthy to stand in and He's worthy of your allegiance. I hope that you have seen today Jesus afresh the one sent from heaven to rescue sinners. Amen. Praise God. Behold him. He's my king. The one who is a better, greater than Adam, curse-free, sent for me, a man, a replacement, one who can replace me, one who can stand before me and give his life, one who has the, the perfection of currency to deposit on my behalf. The one in whom through scrutiny and examination, digging deep into who he is and who is his life and his words and his actions. And the answer is blameless. Blameless, spotless, without blemish. That is our Jesus. That is worthy, worthy of praise, is it not? It is worthy of praise.